The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 this morning. Uh, it seems like we'll never get out of Mark chapter 6, and I was just looking ahead. We've got at least three more sermons here uh, in Mark chapter 6. But uh, today's, you might entitle this, uh, God's Work, God's Way, because this is what it's all about. It's Super Bowl Sunday, whatever that means for you, but uh, today it's God's Work, God's Way. Uh, just a little preview for next week. Next Sunday is the second Sunday. It's hard to believe. Uh, Nathaniel King, uh, our intern, our sort of intern, kind of intern, however that works intern, uh, will be preaching next week about the need for theology. Second Sunday of each week, we're preaching through a mark of a healthy church. Next week, Nathaniel will be preaching through why it's necessary to know why you believe what you believe and what you don't. You may know the answer to that already, but I pray it warms your heart as well. Well, I, it is Super Bowl Sunday. What, again, whatever that may mean to you. And this story I don't think is true, but I think it proves a very good point. But there was surprise to see, as you see here in the picture, several empty seats at a very recent Super Bowl. And a diehard fan remarked about it to the man sitting next to him. He said, why is that seat, especially next to you, open? It's a Super Bowl after all. Come on, man. And uh, he said, well, it's my wife's, but she unfortunately passed away. She died. And the man said, oh, I, I, I'm very sorry to hear that. I, that's terrible. But I'm really surprised, though, that another relative, you know, a friend, a family member, a coworker, didn't jump at the chance to see Tom Brady win his, like, 700 Super Bowl. And why not? And the man says, the husband says, it beats me. They all insisted on going to the funeral instead of coming to the game. Oops. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to do what is right, like going to your wife's funeral. Amen. I hope you understand that's an important thing to go to, even if you miss the Super Bowl, for crying out loud. But that funny, goofy little proverbial story really brought a point home to me. Is sometimes you have to do the right thing. Sometimes, even when it doesn't seem like it's the easy thing to do. And that's why the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 32, verse 8, he says, I will instruct you, God speaking here, and teach you in the way that you should go. And I will counsel you and with my eye upon you. Because as we talk about God's work, God's way, this is something that really comes to bear. Because we could so easily be like, I'm not going to go to my wife's funeral because there's something more important. If we lose focus about what is truly important. Because it matters to God how his work is carried out. We aren't free to invent ministry and aren't free to do it how we choose. If it's truly God's work, then we have no say about how that work is to be carried out. This is known formally as the regulative principle. We've talked about this before in recent months, that Scripture alone, the Bible alone, tells us how we are to believe, what we are to do with it, and how to do it. Isn't that great? God gave us an instruction manual, His divine Word. And what this means is, is that the Word of God must regulate how we worship, how we serve, and how we witness. And that is either by the Lord's direct command or a practical example. And this means that everything that we do at this church has to be focused on that priority. 
or else we are no better than that guy who, who said, I'm going to the Super Bowl even though my wife's funeral is the same day. Do you see that? And this morning, what we're going to get into is Jesus is getting ready to launch out in pairs, two by two, his disciples into the world. And oh, how easy it would have been for them to say, hey, but I want to do it this way, Jesus. I want to do it this way, Jesus. And I want to do it this way, Jesus. But Jesus brings it all back to center and says, but you're going to do it my way. It's my work. It's my testimony. Do it this way. So some questions today. Why is it so important to define how we do evangelism, how we outreach, how we reach people according to what our Savior did? And what are the practical takeaways from this? And this is a very pastor-like statement, a very preacher-like statement, but it made sense when I said it this morning or earlier. But the big idea is this, is that God's work must be done God's way according to God's word if it's no God's blessing. That's a classic pastor statement, right? That's just something a But it's true for you if you're a parent. It's true for you if you're a grandparent. It's true for you if you're single looking to be married or you're married that is looking to bless your wife or your husband or whatever it is. Because there are timeless truths that govern us, it regulate us, that are true in every place, in every generation. Because it matters to God how we serve Him. We don't get to do however we so desire. The message and means are important as the message itself. And the means in and of themselves never justify the end. Now, I told Amy this earlier, and I'll let you do I plan to do this in two sermons. We're going to try and do it in one. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. I, I don't know if you're sure about this, but there's six truths I want to look at this morning. Woo. Now, I don't know if you're ready now, but there are six truths about God's work that are timeless principles we need to see this morning. And God has given us his word. I want to show you that Jesus had a driving priority. He wanted to keep the main thing, the main thing. He, he gave them a divine commission because there is a dire urgency. People were lost and headed to hell. There's a dominant Even when they were out they got rejected for the name of Jesus. But even doing the thing that God said to do, his will, his way, because there was a very demanding message they had. If you were here with us last week or you missed, we, we, we saw Jesus going to his hometown, and they didn't have a, t- a ticker tape parade like they did in the old days. Jesus came in, and you remember the story? Jesus came in and preached, and they got mad at him, didn't they? They said, you're Mary's son, you're that, that, that weird girl's son. How did you come into the world? Oh, the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you're just weird. Get out of here. You're not who we thought you were. We don't know you. We know your brothers. We know your sisters. But Jesus, get out of town. And now, not only is Jesus rejected, but his followers are going to go into towns where they are going to be rejected for the same message. That's where we're headed this morning, as God will allow. With that in mind, if you'll join me in standing this morning as we talk about keeping the main thing, the main thing. Six timeless principles about God's word from Mark chapter 6. If you're able to join us in standing, would you do that with us, please? Mark chapter 6, verse 6, starting in the second part of verse 6, says this. And he, that's Jesus, went among the village teaching. And he called the twelve. Your, your Bible may say summoned. That's, uh, we'll get there. But he called, he summoned, he, he, he invited the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but verse 9, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. 
And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they, that's the twelve disciples, went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil and many who were sick and healed them. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Church especially, we had a great fellowship and, and, and we invite you to this every fourth Sunday at five o'clock. We had a great Sunday night to talk about the future of our church and, and evangelism outreach came up. God has the right priorities at the right time. I pray as a church we glean from this as we continue our conversation about God, what do you want for us to be and do for this community to reach the gospel, reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray with me this morning as we start. Father, I thank you for this morning. We thank you that, again, we have a place to congregate. Father, no matter how far we get today, we pray it's all done to your glory. Not my words, but your word. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Father, not my outline, Father, but tear it up if necessary by your spirit and lead, Father. Thank you for Tower View Baptist Church, the church that desires to know you, not perfectly as we are not, Father, but even in our sinfulness, thank you for taking us along. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, as we start out today, I want to uh, bring your attention again to Mark chapter 6, verse 6, and we kind of split this up last week, you may recall, uh, but Mark chapter 6 and verse 6, and I want to start out with the driving priority that Jesus had. Many of y'all have a driving priority every day. It's whatever your focus is that day. But this is what Jesus wanted to do. You see, because every ministry has a purpose. For some ministries, that purpose is to make a six flags over Jesus and world of fun so much that they are thought of as the coolest church around. For some, it is to keep traditions alive that died centuries ago that are not biblical, and then there's the rest of us somewhere all in the middle of the middle. But every ministry has a purpose. And Jesus' priority was to get the word of God as far and as wide and out to as many people as possible before it all came to bear. And you notice there, it says in verse 6, that he went out teaching. He's going around teaching. He's literally walking in a circle. I wish I had the map up there for you, but I, don't, I'm not, I didn't find a good map for this. He's literally going from town to town to town to town to town to town, teaching about the word of God. He was not passive. He went on the highways and the byways, and he taught the word of God. And that was what it was all about. And what a great reminder that Jesus does not use, as he reaches people for Jesus, he does not use emotional appeals. Do you see that? He doesn't go up to people and say, I'm going to make you cry for five minutes, and then here's a little Jesus coming along the side, and we're going to get you roped into the kingdom of God. He teaches. Because how do you change someone? You don't change them by their emotions. You always through their mind. Because I don't know about you. One day I feel like pizza, and you know how much I love pizza. There are some days a hot dog is going to do just fine for me. That's how it is. And tonight, if you have a Super Bowl party, you're going to eat all sorts of things you wish you never ate anyway, and that's just how it will be. But he's, this is in the present tense. He was always teaching. There wasn't, it's his lifestyle. What's he teaching about? The kingdom of God, his uh, good news, the deliverance, uh, all these things. And we could never have kept up with Jesus. Man, he didn't need a six-figure uh, income or whatever it was. We'd be exhausted. But he unwaveringly taught and taught and taught and taught. 
not unlike Paul did for those of you in Sunday school when he said he went house to house, public and private teaching, never holding back anything. And he moved from village to village, and he put the message as far and as wide as he could. He's teaching, if you remember, in Galilee, the northern part, and 25 of his 33 miracles are happening in this section right here. That's amazing to me. And that's in a parallel passage, and we'll get to this in a couple weeks, but in a parallel passage, Matthew 9, it says, as he was teaching, Jesus saw the people, and he felt compassion for them. Look, friends, there are so many without the grace of God, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, people at the grocery store, that we need to pray as they prayed in Matthew 9 after Jesus saw this. Jesus said he saw them, but he said we need to pray that God would raise up workers. The, the, the fields are ripe for the harvest. They're ready to be taken down. And Amy's put this up on the screen, but what a reminder to us that we must spread the word of God far and wide. The power is in the seed, but not in the sower. Lowercase s, us. If we're going to have a ministry like Jesus, then we must be part of taking the word of God as far and wide as possible, but ultimately the work is his. We've mentioned this quite a few times as we've gone through Mark. Friends, you're to be faithful to the word. You're to share the word. You're, you're to be there. You're to persuade people as much as you can, but at some point, at some place, you've got to leave the Holy Spirit room to work. And Jesus did just that. He went teaching. He spread it, but he didn't he didn't have to you know, put a square peg through a, a triangle at that point. He trusted that the word of God was sufficient for the task. Notice Jesus doesn't appeal to emotions and he lets the God be God. That's huge for us. Parents, that's huge for you because that means you don't have to force your kids to be Christians. They have to make that choice. Whoa, so you're saying just let them do it. No, no, no. You teach them the word of God patiently, systematically, faithfully, but eventually you've got to leave them at the altar of God and say, Lord, it's up to you to change their heart. I can't do it. That is the point of every ministry is to bring the word to the people and the people to the word. Have you looked at every opportunity you have, whatever that is, whether you're retired, not retired, working, young, old, middle-aged, and said, Lord, where can I be a witness and ambassador for you? And you'd be amazed at what's right in front of you. Jesus went to a little obscure village, a little obscure village, probably some towns that he had passed through before, teaching the word of God. He had a driving priority, but the power was in the word, not the disciples themselves. Now look at verse 7. I want you to see the divine commission here, the divine commission. You know, they prayed, Lord, raise up workers. And this is what Jesus told them. He said, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, how many of y'all have in your Bible the word summoned? Anyone have that in there? Quite a few. That word right there is probably the better translation. I'm not a Greek expert. Don't claim to be. Just in study. But it, literally, Jesus assigned. Jesus called or Jesus summoned. If you remember our study from last summer, this is exactly what happened to the disciples before. You remember when the disciples were called? It said Jesus went up on the mountain to pray, and he summoned all those who would come. These 12 did not volunteer. These 12 were summoned by the power of God to be his witnesses wherever they went. They didn't start it. None of them signed up. The Lord summoned. It's an intense word. It literally means bringing face to face. Raise your hands, but if you've ever been summoned to court, maybe jury duty, right? Uh, I, I, You know, in all my 30, almost 40 years, I've never been It's probably a target on my back right now. But you know, if you have jury duty, you have to be there unless there is something 
keeping you away. You are summoned. And this is exactly what Jesus meant in John 15. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you, John 15, 16. And appointed you, summoned you, that you should go and bear fruit, that you should abide. So whatever my Father to you. Jesus isn't coming alongside that saying, guys, there's a sign-up board over here. If you want to go be ridiculed for your faith and not have much to eat and look pretty silly for me, go sign up over there. Jesus is imposing his will on their will. Well, Darren, what about free will? Oh, friends, if there's a door, Jesus wants to knock it down, that door, of, you know that old classic thing that on your heart, if you want to let him in, let him in. No, if Jesus wants to go through that door, he's going to kick it down and he's going to go get you. Why? Because our God is not a passive person. He's a lion. He's good, but he's not tame. And what we know is they have already been summoned. This is irresistible, it's obligatory, and it's sovereign. Yes, this is what we would call irresistible grace. This is it. Did they have a choice in the matter? Yes, they still responded, just as you do. But at the same time, they could not resist the call. Do you see any resisting here? He called them, and what happened? He began to send them out. They went. And notice that one of these guys, remember, one of the twelve is who? Judas. So God is calling one who never knew him and also one who did sovereignly? Yes, you see that right here. He has called them first to repentance. He called them in John 1. We looked at this many months ago. He called them to leave today. Many of you are maybe in that boat. You don't know Jesus. You need to repent and leave. four and now he begins to send them out to teach and to preach his voice will be their voice his message will be their message his mission it will be their mission they are now his ambassadors to go wherever he calls them that is a great reminder to us that all who have been summoned to salvation have been summoned to ministry church everyone here who is a member of our church and and is active, we are called, each of us, to serve this local body. Whether our strength is not what it used to be, or whether we're at the height of our strength. Whether our mind is not as sharp as the other guy, or whether we are the sharpest tool in the shed. Some will go overseas. We're going to probably, uh, in a good way, Aaron, I'm pointing at you, brother. I, point, I picked you on you twice this year, and we're going to be praying for Aaron. He's, he's an IMB. Uh, he's going through the application process right now to be a missionary for a couple of years. Some will pastor churches. Some will just be regular Joes that serve the Lord faithfully, but God has summoned each Christian, not just to be a Christian, not just to grow in discipleship, but to go and make disciples. And he sends them out, you notice that, by pairs. Did you notice that? Why do you think he sent them out by pairs? Because we get discouraged easily, don't we? <laughs> you ever try to share the name of Jesus with someone, and you go home and think, oh my goodness, I, I'm not cut out for this stuff. But when you go out with someone else and you really mess up the presentation, that other person's there to say, look, God knows God's with you. He's there to encourage you. So he divides them up in 16 to 2. They're there to for loneliness and temptation. But every one of us has been called this way, guys. Have you embraced, have you prayed, Lord, where is it at this church that I need to serve? Lord, where is it? Lead me. And if that's changing diapers in the nursery or that's helping Don and Carlos nail things down around this building, praise the Lord. Amen? Be faithful where God calls you.
So he, he sends about teaching. He's got that priority. There's a commission, but now there's an urgency. I want you to see this. Look at verse 8 as we move on. Verse 8 reminds us here. It says, he, that's Jesus, charged them. So he summoned them. He's called them irresistibly. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except for a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in the belt, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Well, that sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? That's pretty easy. Just go. Just be a part of it. But the urgency of the mission required they travel lightly they, in order not to be encumbered. Nothing must slow them down in taking the gospel. I'm into these survival shows lately, you know, Survivor Man. Anyone ever watch that with Les Stroud and uh, Bear Grylls who used to sleep in motels and make it video like he was sleeping in the bush and all those things, but you can debate those. But there's one show we just watched on Friday called I Shouldn't Be Alive. This is like seven or eight years ago. And this lady is running in a canyon. Uh, uh, she was a famous runner, ironically. She's running in a canyon with her dog, and she slips, and she, anyway, she gets really hurt. And, and, and she, as a runner, she's not carrying much because she's out on a mission, right? She's out on a mission, and, and, and I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. You want to know the rest of the story, I know. She's okay. Her dog saves her. They get her. She's fine. But she remarked in the comments something that was very apropos as we were watching this the other night, Natalie and I were. She said, you know, she said, I carried what was necessary and nothing more. And even though I didn't carry enough, what I carried was enough to save me, to sustain me, to be saved. That's kind of what's happening here in Mark. He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey. No luxurious luggage. I remember as a youth pastor going on mission trips, I had two girls. Oh, my goodness. I tell them every year, you're not going to take more than this size of a bag. And get the TSA thing out and they can measure it. And they would come for a week with, like, two big bags. Like, what is in those bags, man? What are you carrying? Are there dead bodies in there? What do you got? But Jesus is telling them there's no extra provisions, no creature comforts. This is not a vow of poverty. It has nothing to do with that. But what I think he's saying here is that you must be shrewd. You must be wise. You must not take anything that will hinder you from sharing the gospel. Only take what's necessary to fulfill the mission. Time is of the essence, he tells them. What we do for God must be done today. You ever feel that way? That the world is passing and invading us, and we must swiftly do God's work, don't we? He'll come like a thief in the night. Except he tells them you can take a staff. Of course, a staff would be something you walk with or you fight things with, keep animals. But notice he says no bread, no bag. You don't bring any extra supplies. There's no money in your belt. So, Darren, they must have had smartphones with Apple Pay, right? That's what they did? Not quite. Needs will be provided when you meet your destination. They were to be supported by those who came to know Jesus. That's interesting. Those who came to Christ would be their greatest support. Those who came to Jesus would be the ones who looked after them. And they would labor is worthy of his wages, Mark 10 tells us. They were to look to God and trust God as they go. Of course, they were to wear sandals. That's a common footwear. That would make most of you happy because you want to wear sandals 365. But they are not to take anything else. Don't take a second pair. Once you arrive, if you need more, then get it. Ask for it. But don't take anything else. And here's an interesting one. Don't put on two tunics. What's a tunic? It's kind of like a shirt worn under an outer wear. It's not to say it's wrong to have a closet full of clothes or anything like that. What Jesus is saying is there's an urgency. Don't let the things of this world keep you from the things of the next world and sharing about what Christ has done. You need to be ready so nothing will hold you back this way. Friends, I've asked this question 
probably three times in my sermon notes that I can think of, but I think it's so true as we think about this. They went out. But if God answered all your prayers today, how many people would be saved? These men were going into places that were very hostile at times to the gospel. You live in those places. I live in those places. We may not get persecution like they did, but we, we have people around us who who neighbors that we only know by uh, passing first name. We have people at the grocery store, the gym. Many of you are still keeping that New Year's resolution going, great for you. You know the person you see at the treadmill next to you all the time. Whoever it is, would you make your prayers big? Our God is big enough, isn't he, to save all those that will be brought to him? He is. May we pray big that God would save those it is. Because, look, you can pray a lot of things for a lot of people. You can pray a lot of things that they be restored to health and all these things, but if the spiritual side's not taken care of and they pass away, they, they literally have nothing going on to eternity. The point is, and, and the point is simply this, we are to fulfill the master's mission, then there are things we must let go of in our life. For some of you, that's going to be your luxuries. For some of you, you're hanging on to things that are keeping you from being the ambassador for Christ you need to be. I don't know what that is. You know what it is, but it's there. For some of you, it's unnecessary additions to your life that you've added on that make you look religious but really have nothing inside that you need to take to the cross. What is it that takes away from you sharing the gospel, me sharing the gospel? What is diverting you and keeping us back from reaching the world for Jesus Christ? That's what he says. Amy, I'm going to skip that that, that picture for a second time, but uh, I want you to go to verse 10. I want you to see the dominant focus. So he's teaching them, he's summoned them, he said, guys, the, the urge is, is there, but look at verse 10 and notice what the focus is. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, or from them. So what is he doing here? He wants them to remain focused on the mission. He wants them you know, to take a Super Bowl analogy a day further, you know, some of these football players get so caught up in the hype, the, the atmosphere, all these things. It's, it's literally zero degrees in Minneapolis right now, by the way. So there's not much outside to do. But they get caught up in all the, the riffraff. And, and you hear guys years on in interviews say, you know, I just got carried away with the partying and all these things, and I lost focus of the game. That's what you're paid to do. You get paid more in one second than we get paid in a lifetime, right? So go do your job. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. You shouldn't be preoccupied with creature comforts, with reaching people for the kingdom of God. This is not to say, look, that, that at times that God may not bless you with a bigger house or a different car or, or, or for some of you, a new cell phone every six months. Praise the Lord. Amen? If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch, right? That's not original to me. That's a good man by uh, Vody Bauckham. You can look him up. But that's very true. He says to enter a house. As they go out, they're going to go out different directions through Galilee, preaching, witnessing, sharing, expounding the kingdom. And he says, when you arrive, find someone who's there to help take care of you. Move in and stay with them. For how long, Jesus? He says, stay there until you leave, leave town. You're going to stay in one house the best you can. Why? Because you don't want to offend the original host. And you need to remain focused on not being tried to upgrade your accommodations. So if you move into one place, you want to settle down. Jesus says, don't worry about that stuff. Keep the focus, the focus. I don't know about you. I hate moving. Amen. 
it's only been two years since we moved into our house up here, but I still have nightmares from everything, especially the soot that came out of the fireplace, if you remember that, those of you around. There's nothing wrong with moving into another house. Seasons demand new change. But it takes a while to pack things. It takes a while to unpack things. I think we're still unpacking two years on. All of your focus and all of your energy and efforts have to remain on the ministry. As you serve God in certain times, you need to unpack. You need to set down your tent peg, some of you. And you need to sit down for a while and, and, and go where God calls you. And that should be our focus, too. We are in different times of this, but it speaks to us. Because there were some people here who would not like what Jesus said. And may I remind us that if success for God is measured by being liked by everyone, then Jesus' ministry was an utter failure. Jesus was not out to please people. Jesus was out to share the gospel with people. Does that mean we should be rude and uh, cankerous and all these things? No, not at all. But that's why I think 2 Corinthians 4.18 reminds us that Quote, why we look not at things which are seen, but things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not are eternal. I think what Paul, in conjunction with what Jesus is telling the disciples here, is saying is success in ministry is determined in part to look behind, beyond rather what is perishing into what is not perishing. Do we really need that next new thing that comes down, or could that money be given to missions? This is not a call to poverty. We are not, uh, that's not what we're saying. But do the things that we have detract or attract us closer to Jesus Christ? Only two things are going out of this world, and it's not Tom Brady's Super Bowl rings, I can tell you that. There are two things, the word of God and the souls of men. Those are what carry over to eternity. May we pour our lives into the word of God and the souls of men built with gold, silver, and precious Jesus, I'm heading out. Now what to expect? Look at verse 11. Many of you know this verse by heart because you've experienced this verse in ways, shape, or form. Notice the, the, notice the, the rejection, the decisive rejection that comes. There's a conflict that comes from doing God's work God's way. Look at verse 11. And it says, if any, And if any place will receive you not, not receive you, they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them we often say this in, in a lot of ways but let's be very clear here we are to live at peace with all men we especially in the body of christ but the message we bring is so provocative it's so whoa it's so did he really just say that yeah we did and it's powerful it should unite us but often it fights don't think, Jesus says, for launching out for ministry, you're going to be the most popular people in town. Look, there will be people who name their babies after you, but they're more likely, Jesus says here, in essence, to name their dogs after you than anything else. Why? Because this message is going to be one that's rejected. There will be conflict when we hold forth the truth. That's why he says, any place that doesn't receive you, this, this implies that wherever you go, you're to say something, you're to share the gospel. You can't be a chameleon Christian. You can't be a Christian that is hiding in camouflage in the corner like I was at high school dances, kind of on the side wallflower, right? And only when someone comes up to you do you say, sure, I'd like to dance, and you're still wooden like this, like a, like, like a mannequin. That's not how the gospel works. Look, you don't have to be an outgoing personality. Actually, I would argue that those who have an outgoing personality are sometimes the greatest hindrances 
to the ministry of the gospel than those who aren't. Because they walk off their energy and their skill and their persona than anything else. It's often those who are the quietest church mice, if you will, that are the greatest servants of Jesus because they know that their, their, their skills aren't going to get them anything. They're introverts. Don't talk to me. I need a day and a half to recover. Give me a week, actually, and I'll be okay. But he tells them whether you're extroverted or introverted, the gospel shares for all of us. We know this, but it's going to tear people the wrong way. It's going to divide. And what he is telling them is, it says, when you leave, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony and get them. Just, it's kind of like, i, I, I got to be careful of these analogies biblically and otherwise. It's kind of like talk to the hand because the face ain't listening and just leave it out. And peace out, you know, one of those things. That's kind of the modern translation in a very loose phrase. We only have so much time and so many gospel witnesses left in us. So many tracts left to pass out, doors to knock on, books to give. But we need to present the gospel. And if someone doesn't receive it, then we shake our dot. We, we, we move on. We move on. If you're a good businessman, you would invest your capital in a business that's growing, is it, wouldn't you? Some of you would say, no, I'd like to get the underdog. Go Eagles tonight. But there it is what it is. So what do you do? What if you have a family member? What if you have a friend? What if you have someone in your life that's just a stick in the mud and you share the gospel and they just roar? You pray for them. You love them where they are and you keep sharing. But friends, there may become a time where they just say, I want nothing more to do with this, and you move on. This is often when we are knocking on doors, these are people who are red lights. We want people who are green lights. We want people who are, who are open to sharing the gospel and receiving the gospel. What God is saying here is, is that if you are to be faithful, there will be rejection. If our Jesus doesn't have rejection, then friends, we may not be sharing the Jesus of the Bible. If you remember in Acts 13, 51, at Paul and Barnabas, it says they shook the dust off their feet in protest against the people and went on to Iconium. Amy will put this up, but a divisive person, divisive about the right things, is still divisive. It's possible to contend for the truth of Christ and the spirit of Satan. Some of the worst gospel witnesses are Christians because we have the truth. We know the truth. There's one way of the truth. Yes, that is true, but there's also love, grace, humility, and speaking a word at the right time as God gives it to us. It's not a license to be unkind or ungracious. There comes a time to play big boy ball, but you have to have a time when you stand with God more than you stand with those who reject Christ. And it's a complete break of responsibility anymore to bring the light to you. You may have to tell someone, you, sir, you, ma'am, you've had your day of opportunity. Now I move on to the next people. Paul and Silas in Acts 18, it says, uh, the people there, the Jews resisted and they blasphemed. When's the last time our gospel presentation caused someone to blaspheme the name of Jesus because we shared it so clearly, so full, forthrightly, so boldly, so humbly? This is not exactly a seeker-sensitive service. Your blood upon your own heads is what Paul told them in Acts chapter 18. Wow. Friends, if God's work is going to be done God's way, according to God's word, then we must take seriously the sin of unbelief that of those we're trying to reach. We must never compromise the gospel, even if it means we are rejected for it. Can I speak to our church on this? If in coming days, and I'm not, I don't know anything more than you do, but in, in the time that, that this church exists or any church exists, if we lose our 501c3 tax-exempt status because we stand for the gospel of Christ and good riddance tax-exempt status, if we lose 
notoriety in the neighborhood for sharing the bold gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're loving as we do it. We're doing everything God says, and we're trying to love people where they are. Then, then so be it. Praise the Lord. If you lose friends because you are faithfully living for Jesus, not trying to be a ninja for Jesus and slicing and dicing, you know, you kind of sneak up on them and you gospel bomb them. You know, uh, there was an old, it's so many years ago now, there was this guy called the Evangelism Linebacker. Some of you may have seen this. The Evangelism Linebacker is a parody spoof. Uh, this guy, his, his goal in life was to listen for Christians who didn't share the gospel. And if they didn't share the gospel, he'd come up and tackle them. It's not true. didn't happen. And then he'd go, you need to share the gospel. Look it up on YouTube. Not now, but look it up later. Evangelism Linebacker, you can do it. That's not what we're called to do. But if by standing faithfully on the word of God in our families and our churches, we lose popularity with the world, then praise God for it if we've done it faithfully. Amen? Friends, I pray that that is where we are. I know that's where our church heartbeat is. It's so easy. But Darren, we may have to pay taxes if we stand for the gospel. I don't know when that's going to happen. Then you know what? Then render under Caesar what Caesar's and the Lord's what's the Lord's. God be praised. What a chance we have here. Let's close with the last one. We're going to get this under 40 minutes, guys. That's exciting. We have crossed a new bridge in this preaching ministry by God's grace. <laughs> Number six, notice the demanding message. I'm not going to unpack all this uh, just because, but here it is. So they go out, they share it. This gospel is divisive. And in verse 13, verse 12, they say, So they went out, the 12 disciples, two by two, six teams, and, and, and proclaimed that people should hug a friend. That people should what? Should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They went out and preached. They went out and shared boldly. Does that mean you can't hug someone who doesn't know Jesus? No. But notice they didn't say, come to Jesus and get all these great things. They said, repent, turn around, 180, believe on Jesus. Jesus didn't say, you know, Jesus didn't go out and say, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, who wants to ask me into their heart? He never said that. He said, repent. Repent is a change of mind. It, it means uh, not just an intellectual shift of, of thinking, but it runs far deeper. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of the will. It's turning from sin and turning to Christ. It's running away from the world and, 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 and confessing. As Romans 10.9 says, that if you confess with your mouth, you agree with him that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, that message is not popular. I can go write books all day about how great the love of God is. I can go on every TV show. Uh, I can go on Ellen. I can go on the late night talk shows. I can get on YouTube. I can go on Facebook Live. I can share just how wonderful the love of God is. But the moment I mention that there is one way to heaven, there is a so hot that God himself throws people down. He literally does. There's a God of love who gave his life for you. Oh, that TV camera turns off. The book deals. Because preachers like that. We don't want to repent. We want to go this way. I don't want to go that way. It's like a toddler, you know. I want to do this. No. <laughs> You're not the parent. You're doing this. But I don't, it's not a negotiation. Come on, guys. You've been there. That was our house all day yesterday by God's grace. It's a demanding message. Friends, this message is repent. 
and you can get into, and I don't have time to unpack all this, they cast out demons. Are demons real? Yes, they are. Are they still around? Yes, they are. Can Christians be demon-possessed? No, they can't. Do demons still exist in America today? Yes. Do they exist in foreign countries? Yes. Uh, is it possible someone could be demon-possessed who's not a Christian? Yes. Darren, are you an exorcist? No. But the Word of God is stronger than I. And he healed many. He anointed with oil. That's a reference to James 5. I wish we had time to unpack all that. But this ministry was not just repenting. You notice they did good works as they went. It's not mutually exclusive. It's not a camp of go and preach on the street corner and, oh, let's hug everybody. Friends, these all unite together. They are both a bold message and a bold serving at the same time. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I pray that you come to know that truth, that there is one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ. But church, if we're going to do God's work, we must do it God's way by God's word in order to receive God's blessing. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we come before you and get ready to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, we are reminded how easily we get off this track, even as pastor, how easily we get off this track. Father, I pray as we go out to our various ways in about 20